Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butler's podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like and subscribe. We would be most appreciative. And with that, I think the biggest news this week was that Tesla reportedly sold 75% of their Bitcoin. However, we did have some other significant adoption news. But first, Matt, what exactly did Tesla do and what is your take on it? So Tesla's Q2 earnings report came out and they uh, indicated that they had sold um, 75% of the Bitcoin that they were holding back in uh, last. I think last year they had indicated they bought a billion and a half worth of Bitcoin um, and they decided that they needed to sell it. Now, when pressed about it, Elon Musk said that the reason for this was not as much about Bitcoin as it was about Tesla's cash needs and that they were facing some potential liquidity challenges. And given the volatility in Bitcoin, they didn't want the exposure of that on their balance sheet versus um, cash when they might need cash in the future. So, you know, I don't know. Um, how much truth there is to that, if, if that is the real reason they sold um, or if they are changing their view of Bitcoin, but they didn't sell all of it. And, um, and we know that they also held on to, uh, I think, pretty much all of their Dogecoin that they're holding, which I think is a couple hundred million dollars worth of that. So they are still holding you know, a substantial amount of Bitcoin on their uh, balance sheet, but they have converted most of it into uh, fiat cash. Yeah, and I have a couple of thoughts about this. My first thought is, it, who cares? Elon Musk over the past year has been really all over the place uh, from what he did with buying Bitcoin to what he did with promoting Dogecoin, and they're still talking about Dogecoin, which is ridiculous, uh, <laughs> to... He hosted Saturday Night Live and he pumped Dogecoin and then he pulled out of Bitcoin with FUD regarding its environmental impact. And then he moved on to buying Twitter and then not buying Twitter. And then there are now rumors that I think he had kids with two different women the same year. Uh, and then there are rumors yeah. of him allegedly having an affair with Sergey Brin from Google's wife and causing a divorce. And who knows if any of that is that may or may not be true, but he doesn't seem to be a particularly stable person. I don't know if you agree or disagree, no, I, but I agree with that. And I, I mean, overall, I think that the things that he is trying to do with his companies are pretty, um, they're unbelievably ambi ambitious. And if, you know, to the extent mm -hmm. that everything works out, he will truly be one of the people who will help humanity in a, in a meaningful way. So I, I have mm -hmm. a lot of respect for him in that sense. And I think the guy's mm -hmm. a genius. I also think that he clearly loves to be in the spotlight and mm -hmm. he's known to, you know, have made moves that will impact markets. And so I think there's always, whenever I hear any news that Tesla or Elon Musk or any, anything that he's involved in did something, my first thought is, you know, what was he trying to accomplish by saying that he did something? So that, mm. that was my first thought is like, and as it relates to Bitcoin globally, I also said, who cares? And I think that, you know, for the most part, um, the Bitcoin market was unaffected by this issue, um, especially that, you know, it happened last quarter, it happened at least a month ago. Um, mm. So it's not like we're seeing the effect of that now. And if there was a big dump of Bitcoin into the market that, you know, affect that would affect the price, it didn't really seem to uh, to stand mm -hmm. out as a reason why why the price changed. So there's that. But I also think that there's some element of sensationalism that he likes to put into, you know, the uh, the public space so that people talk about him and that he can kind of, you know, test his uh, his power. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, he also, so first of all, I, I do think that uh, Elon Musk is an extraordinary person of our time. And I've been a fan of his historically. But when it comes to Bitcoin, I think he exposed himself when it came to the energy argument. So either he understood the energy argument and got it and intentionally misled people, or he didn't understand the energy argument and just made foolish statements. We don't know which one that is, but he's also had some other weird behavior. Now I'm thinking about in the past where he said he was taking Tesla private and he had the, right. the funding to do it. And the SEC's like, that's completely not true. And they find him. Well, I don't know how much they find him, but he was fine for that. So he's, uh, he's a bit of an unusual character. And I agree with you completely that he loves to be in the spotlight. And so he was in the spotlight with this. But I also think that another thing you said is something I, I very much thought before and agree with, which is that it didn't really move. The, the actual sale when Tesla sold their Bitcoin, I don't know of any data that showed that it really pulled down the price of Bitcoin. And by right, the way, we're talking about a. Yeah, ago. I mean, there's a billion dollars worth, roughly. Right, well, that's that's significant. It's on selling that kind of amount, and and then also the news after we discovered that Tesla had sold it. I think it went. I think the market went down a couple percent, but the, a correlation is not causation. So I personally just think that if Elon Musk loves Bitcoin or Elon Musk hates Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't care. Right now with that, there are people that do care. If we're going to be intellectually honest here, there are people that say, okay, well, if Elon Musk is doing it, I'm doing it. And if Elon Musk isn't doing it, I'm not doing it. But if we look backwards and see like how many people really bought Bitcoin because Tesla bought Bitcoin or Elon Musk had Bitcoin. And by the way, we don't know how much Elon Musk owns personally, how much Bitcoin he owns personally and what Tesla is doing. Those are two very different things. Sure. So, but regardless, I don't really think that there is a, I don't think this is big following of people that are buying Bitcoin because Elon Musk is buying it. And conversely, I don't think there's a large group of people that are selling Bitcoin because Elon Musk is selling it. Uh, I think the story probably comes down to just, wanting to pad their balance sheet for earnings. When they talk about these, there may be liquidity issues. I think that they have enough planning there and they should have been able to, you know, a company that size that that's run like that would have been able to compensate for that. But you know how uh, financial reporting works. And a lot of times with that, people don't dig very deep into the results. They just kind of look at the, the top line numbers right? or just, earnings per share and see mm -hmm. if it's better or worse than the guidance and, you know, go from there. And that's it. It's like reading the headline of an article and not reading the last paragraph. And so this was one of those things. And, uh, I think, I think if anything, it showed a bit of the durability of Bitcoin. One, the liquidity, one, they could get rid of it. And two, the durability that, it didn't really have much of an impact. And uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, there could also be some truth to his statement that he's, you know, still uh, considers Bitcoin to be a valuable asset. And, you know, aside from the energy FUD that he, he claims, you know, I think a lot of that is really silly, especially when you look at how he's, he thinks that Dogecoin is the better alternative for, from that right. standpoint, um, as if Dogecoin really is worth doing anything with. But, right. Um, right. but you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think there could also just be an element of him just wanting to see how much he can move the market. So, I um, think he loves attention, loves being in the news. But I do have a question for you on this. Yeah. Uh, how many hours do you think it takes to really understand Bitcoin? I, I like the, the, the base level. 
Um, like your first real understanding of it. Like what's the minimum number of hours for you to be able to say, okay, I kind of get what Bitcoin is. I think it's about yeah, like hours. truly interesting. Right. I think Michael Saylor said like a really, really smart person could do it in like maybe 40 hours, right? Someone with a good understanding of the other parts. So let's just say that that number is somewhere between 40 and 100. How many hours do you think Elon Musk has spent studying Bitcoin? Well, given the fact that he dismissed it because of its quote unquote energy consumption, Mm -hmm. um, that tells me he's, he has not hit the 40 hour mark. Right. And the fact that, well, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's not fair. He hasn't hit the hundred hour mark and he hasn't thought about it hard enough after hitting the hundred hour mark to be able to understand that that's just a ludicrous statement. It is ludicrous. That the, reason, and also, that the reason to not take Bitcoin is because of the energy that the network uses. And because I would argue that uh, the energy that the network uses is absolutely one of the biggest reasons that you should adopt it. Well, that's a different story for a different day. Right. It uh, seems like but, we always touch on that and we're not going to go right. there tonight. But but I, but I it think is that it is, it is no, an important there, there is the a narrative. lack of sure. understanding on his part for him to even say that. Um, if he had stopped and actually researched that topic before he made that statement, then um, I can't see how he could have said it honestly. So maybe he did research it and he just wasn't being honest. That's possible too. And for the company to keep Dogecoin, you said 200 million. I, I don't know what the number is, but if it's anything close to that, then that's just not smart. If you're going to sell off your assets, you're better off selling off what do they sell off about nine hundred fifty dollars, nine hundred fifty million worth of Bitcoin? So you're better yeah, off selling seven like fifty and selling two hundred million worth of Doge and, and holding on to two hundred million more Bitcoin. Who knows? It, a lot of what we have is speculation. We won't know the real reason. What we do know is that it did happen, and uh, it didn't seem to affect Bitcoin particularly much. Yeah, one of the uh, other interesting things, which I will absolutely not go on, off on a tangent about. Um, because I don't need to bore anyone with accounting um, talk, but it, there were some very interesting articles about how this, you know, the fact that they sold this Bitcoin and they swapped it for fiat cash, and now they have have to report those transactions, um, you know, as a public company, there are definite accounting, um, there's confusion around the accounting that, that, has to go into place in order to be able to accurately report that. And, and without getting into any of it in detail, it just shows that there's a real need for, you know, guidance from, um, from the SEC and the AICPA and whoever, you know, puts out the accounting pronouncements to, uh, to make that a lot easier for companies, because over time, you're only going to see more companies having Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And if there's not a clear answer on what to do when you, you know, buy it or sell it or take a gain or a loss on it, it's going to, it's going to cause problems. Mm -hmm. um, next story. You ready? Yep. All right. The next story, the largest bank in the Eurozone to launch Bitcoin. So this is um, uh, P PNB. Get that right? mm -hmm. uh, BNP, sorry. Um, the French bank. Uh, I think you know more about this bank than I do. This is like Bank of America. And this is essentially when you think about BMP, which I think it stands for Bank National Paris or Bank National Paribas. I'm not sure. But it's, it's BNP it's, Paribas is the name of the bank. Yes, yes. So when you go to France, this is like, I mean, this is really like Bank of America, but for France, this is Bank of well, France. Well, here, let's give some scale here. It's 506 billion of assets. Mm -hmm. um, but what I thought was really interesting about this is that the, um, the announcement was not so much about the bank. It's about the, the custodial mm -hmm. services that they can provide. Mm -hmm. Um, and while they're a $500 billion bank, their custodian has $13 trillion in assets in custody. Right. Which puts it, I think that would put it that would make it bigger than BlackRock. Cause I think BlackRock has. Well, we're talking about custody. Um, right. I know. I understand. It, it, yeah. 
but it's still an enormous number. And, and I think this speaks to the, what we're seeing, which is, which is the question of what role are the large banks going to have with Bitcoin? And I think that the next, the next evolution of this shows that they're going to definitely play a role with custodianship, even though they're outsourcing it to other people. And I think they're going to play a role in exchanging it. So we've seen quite a lot of turmoil with the exchanges. And there was even a story this week with um, Coinbase, which are not planning on talking about in this episode, but these, these exchanges historically have sold Bitcoin and however many other garbage coins as they could profit on. Uh, and so I don't know if they're going to exist long-term. I just don't know if there's a market sure. for, for a company that's going to charge. So like Coinbase was charging like one and a half percent fees. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be a realistic thing. 10 years from now, five years from now, you're not going to, no one's going to pay a one and a half percent fee to exchange between Bitcoin and fiat or vice versa, unless well, there's and a also on, reason for it. And, and Binance recently dropped their Bitcoin mm -hmm. transaction fees to zero, which tells you a lot mm -hmm. about how much they value those transaction fees long-term. Well, they're making their money on the, right. The other stuff. Yeah. And, so, uh, and strike, the, you can buy Bitcoin for no fees on strike. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the exchanges are certainly at risk to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. And if they're making their big money on brokerage fees on, you know, altcoins and at the same time making a lot of money on, you know, on staking and rehypothecating different cryptocurrencies. I mean, that is not a long-term business model. It's just eventually, it, you know, um, and so I, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's somewhat logical that you will see rather than what we're seeing, what we call an exchange today, that we will just see banks somehow kind of incorporate Bitcoin into the overall account portfolio. Um, mm -hmm. Just like, you know, maybe not that different to how if you're a Bank of America customer and also a Merrill Lynch customer, you can manage your bank accounts and your investment accounts in one place. That's one aspect of it. The other is that you could just see where, um, you know, you could have a checking account, a savings account and a Bitcoin account. Um, mm -hmm. I could see something like mm -hmm. that coming sure. along where and especially, you know, we've talked about being able to uh, receive a portion of your paycheck in Bitcoin. And, you know, maybe at some point you set up your direct deposit from your employer where, you know, you put 80% of it into your checking and 10% into say into your traditional savings and 10% into your Bitcoin savings. And that's how you put away Bitcoin. And, and the banks would be a very logical, um, you know, place to facilitate that. Yeah. And I also think they want to have their hands on the assets. Think if you're yeah, a bank, and so, you want people depositing money, depositing gold, whatever it is, you want to have your hands on the assets. You want deposits. Banks love deposits mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in, in any solid form. So so that's, that's no secret. Um, and while I think this could very well be an important you know, step in the greater adoption of Bitcoin, I do have issues with, you know, setting up a, a system where self-custody is not, you know, the first choice. Well, maybe that's the, obviously we would never, ever suggest that. Right. So uh, I'm very curious as to how that, how does that work within the banking world where, you know, they're helping you onboard, um, you know, fiat to Bitcoin, but they also need to be able to allow their customers to take those Bitcoins offline and store them the way they should be stored, mm -hmm. you know, in self-custody. Yeah. I mean, look, the banks are going to push 
they're going to push to have something in the opposite direction. And I think for a lot of people, they're going to be very, feel very comfortable with like a, a BNP or a bank of America holding on to their Bitcoin. They shouldn't feel comfortable with it, but it, it's very difficult for people to think in terms of what doesn't exist. People have a really, really hard time for thinking in terms of what doesn't exist. They don't have much of an imagination. And for a lot of people, they know the old system. So they need the new thing to fit into the old system. What I think is significant here is not whether the, the BNP customers love this or, or whether having custody with a bank is a good idea, but you're talking about an enormous, this is one of the biggest financial institutions in all of Europe. You know, yeah. it might be a French bank, but they're, they're everywhere. And we've said this before in other episodes, how many meetings did BNP have in order to make this happen? Yeah. It right? wasn't like I mean, how, they how didn't do this on a whim. No. And, and then I also wonder what government uh, officials knew about this. What kind of clearance did they do with the the European and or French government? That we well, won't know. But they well, this was blessed most likely in order for this. Yeah, because what we do know is that European governments and institutions are heavily regulated. We do know that beyond belief regulated. Right? It's it's yeah. a bit absurd. So. I I was shocked when I saw this story. I, I, I remember sending it to you saying, well, look at this. This is like a really huge story. And, you know, deal, yeah. the weird thing is you hear more about the Tesla thing, which is not really much of a story and less about this, which I, I think uh, you want to talk about like a signal. This this story has a lot of signal to it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I I was thinking about this when you were talking about if you go back, I don't know, say 20 years, um, the internet existed, people had cell phones, there was, you know, you had some digital music, um, you had digital cameras, all of those things existed. But what percentage of people 20 years ago, if you would have said to them, the iPhone is coming would have understood that, that it was taking all of those things and putting into one place. And, and while it's not exactly the same, it's similar in the sense that you've got all of these different pieces of technology that exist. And the, the world is kind of trying to figure out how to put those pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many people that just either have no idea about what Bitcoin is or what it can do on, you know, multiple levels that it, it is really hard to envision what that will look like, you know, many years from now. Um, but I think you could see a similar thing where you've got all these little bits and pieces of innovation that exist. And it's, and a lot of things are going to have to happen for those to kind of converge to where it's just something that now everybody knows what an iPhone is. Right. Right. And then by the time people realized it, seven years after the iPhone, so that'd be 2014, it had essentially eaten digital cameras. It had eaten video recorders. It had eaten uh, like uh, voice recorders and a number yeah, of other things that I can't think the, of. All of those devices. It, it, it basically ate an entire radio shack for people who know what that was. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, everything you get there is essentially in an iPhone. So there, it's, it's difficult to imagine exactly where it's going to go and how it's going to play out, but it's hard to, to understate what a big deal is that BMP got involved with Bitcoin, even if they are outsourcing the, the custodianship and uh, they're basically just rebranding services from Fireblocks and I think it's called Medico. Mm-hmm who are actually going to handle it. They're not doing yep. anything themselves. They're just right, right. white They're, labeling it. Mm. Right. Good. All right. Well, let's go to the next story. Brazil's largest investment broker. Uh, another Brazil story we've had. I think, I feel like we've had a Brazil story almost every week. 
Um, it seems mm -hmm. like there's a lot of adoption um, happening there. And, um, and there's, you know, there's obviously something driving that within the country of Brazil, where uh, there's demand for people to be able to uh, access these, uh, these markets. Yeah, there's something going on in Brazil. I don't know what it is. We've had like three Brazil stories in a row. And we just, we're just pulling up whatever we can find you know, whatever the, the, the actual news stories are of the time. So there's something going on in Brazil. This, this company, I think it's called, is it called XP? Mm -hmm. So they developed their trading platform alongside the NASDAQ. And so this yeah, is really I just a way that. for people to, this is just like a, is, is XP like a, uh, a Charles Schwab TD Ameritrade type service. I believe so. Yeah, they're a big mm -hmm. they're a big broker. Um, they, um, I mean, that's what so it sounds they have like. three three service. and a half can... million. They have three and a half million customers, um, and uh, they will. They said that this is going to you know start. They will start trading digital assets on their platform by the end of end of the year. Yeah, what do you think is going on in Brazil? We seem to have quite a few things. Brazil banks, Brazil investment houses, all adopting Bitcoin. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what's driving it. I do know that you know Brazil, like many countries in South America, um, has... Um, there's a lot of, there's no middle class, either you're right, right. really rich or really mm -hmm. poor. Um, and so you could see, I could see where, you know, you've got demand coming from both directions. Um, people who want to be more financially included on one hand and people who have a lot of money on the other hand that want to, you know, mm -hmm. get in on what they think is, is mm -hmm. well, if they, it, you know, regardless of what, of why they want to get in, they want to get in because it's a place to put your money these days. Mm. But, but this, this would appeal to more the, the wealthier people in Brazil because Brazil is a population of a little over 200 million. And you said that this XP Inc has about three and a half million customers. Yeah. So this, this appeals to more of the rich people in Brazil. Yeah. But I think the prior stories like, um, you know, there were, I think the other two stories were banks in Brazil mm -hmm. that were going to, um, be integrating it and you know each of those entities had like you know 30 plus million customers mm -hmm. it was a right. large number it was 30 to mm -hmm. 50 million or something like that for each of those two so That's so there's a there's a wide range of of uh institutions that are looking to adopt it Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing. I mean that's really if we're, if we're going to try and connect these dots between these stories what we're really seeing are these large institutions that take very long time to that they take very long times to make any kind of decision and don't like to take any kind of reputational risk or uh, I'm gonna call it like a, a next the, they're not the fast adopting risk right exactly yeah these are p these are institutions that don't want they're not just going to put something out there clearly people believe this is the future and i have some other it, it, the, the, everything is indicating that this is the future both the actions that that uh, companies are making inside of countries and the actions even though they may be adverse reactions for from governments meaning governments aren't going to really worry about it if it's not a, a threat to the government if it's something that helped the government well, I'm just going to pick the government of Nigeria. If they thought that Bitcoin was going to help the government of Nigeria, they would be promoting it. If they thought that Bitcoin was going to help the people of Nigeria, but, but be a potential threat to the government, then they're going to want to shut it down. Sure. So, but, but that in and of itself tells you the value proposition. Right. If the government thinks that it's too good for the people, then they want to stop it. Well, then that says that that that's that's a signal that 
it might, you know, it might be good for the people. And so with, with these things we're putting together with Brazil and all these institutions and BMP is that this, these, these large institutions around the world, not just in the U S but really in all kinds of different countries, we have the largest bank in, I think BMP is probably the largest bank in Europe. It's definitely the largest bank in France. They're, they've got a custodian and exchange plan in place. And XP Inc. in Brazil, which is more like a Schwab or Ameritrade, even though those two merged, uh, they're also offering those services. And that means that they see what is coming. In my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, keep going here. Um, so this is um, another adoption story, but uh, more of a circular economy. The A private island in the Bahamas called Chub K is looking to, um, to provide Bitcoin lightning wallets um, within the island. And so this is a private island that's owned by um, an energy tycoon and um, there are resorts there, there are um, houses there and there are a lot of people um, that are workers there who are, you know, who who are not uh, wealthy. Um, And so George Bishop is the name of the guy that owns it. Um, And, and the, the marina and the resort there is the largest employer on the island. And, you know, there's, it's very difficult to bank there. Um, mm-hmm. There's not, you know, some of these smaller outlying islands in the Bahamas, they're just not really that developed. I mean, in this case, they're, it's developed in the sense that it's beautiful real estate and you've got big houses and resorts and marinas, but there's not really much of an economy there. And to the extent that there is one, it pretty much is contained to the island. So mm. um, the other thing is that there are some strange banking regulations that have been put into place um, in the Bahamas recently. And um, in order to, uh, to, to get money, it, it's very difficult. Um, and there's fees, it's expensive. If you want to send money you know, to someone somewhere else, then um, then you, it takes time and there's a charge for it. So, um, what they're trying to do here in Chubb K is to create basically a, a Bitcoin standard economy that will allow the people on the Island to get paid and, you know, buy goods and services using lightning, um, without having to interact with, uh, with a bank or other financial institution. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, um, I'm going to call like a, miniature El Salvador in a bit. Sure. Right. And, and what I thought was significant here, by the way, I tried to book a room there today because I, I I read that you could book a room with Bitcoin. I just want to see. And anytime we have this, I always just like to press the buttons and I could book a room there. They looked very nice and they weren't that expensive, but you could not book one with Bitcoin and you have to use They, they had a thing up top where you could pick from a million different currencies hmm. and I did not see Bitcoin in there. I'm sure BitPay will come along and offer an, uh, an option <laughs> right. with that. But, but the thing about this one was one, it's another territory. It's another, what I'm going to call like underdeveloped territory, another territory where you have a very large unbanked population. I think that's really, really difficult for people to conceptualize how most of the world, and if not most of the world, you know, half of the world or so, what's, is, is, is the stat like 70% of the world is unbanked? You might know that often. Something like that, yeah. It's Something like number. that. I mean, it's, it's a high number. It's a high percentage of the world is unbanked. We don't understand that because we live in a very, very rich country arguably the richest in the world. But the people that work on this resort, they're not rich. They don't have bank accounts. And they don't, because they don't have bank accounts, they don't have an app like Venmo or anything like that. They're kind of excluded from this digital world. Sure. And so this, this place adopting lightning 
is awesome and you and I both use lightning and we see how fast and easy it is to use. It's the same as using a, a cash app or Venmo or anything like that. It's, it's very simple and it's, and it's functional. And, uh, I think that, well, one, if, if anyone has an argument or anyone's kind of position on Bitcoin and lightning is not included somewhere in that argument, then something is missing because lightning is such an integral, in my opinion, lightning is such an integral part of Bitcoin payments. Absolutely. And, and, and let's talk more about that, but two quick points I wanted to make about this article one, that, that I also thought was really interesting. First of all, is that the article is that Chubb K is seeking a Bitcoin wallet provider. So that, you know, that's an interesting wording. And when you read the article, um, they are saying that they're looking for a partner that will help them implement a Bitcoin standard on the Island. So, um, that means they want to do it. There are people that want them to do it and they're still trying to figure out how to do it, mm. which may also explain why you couldn't book your room in Bitcoin. But the other thing is that even to the extent that the people that are locals on this island, not tourists, um, that they want to send remittances to other places, whether it's other places you know, outside of the Bahamas, um, they changed the laws in the Bahamas mm -hmm. in the past few years. And my guess is it was because of they, their economy is, you know, largely tourism based. And they probably took a huge hit during COVID and they said, all right, well, you're not allowed to send money abroad anymore. And so now you've got these, you know, these um, arcane banking rules that even if you are banked, you can't send money out of the country. So right, this is a right. perfect candidate for a Bitcoin standard. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they um, put out a press release to maybe to attract a wallet company. I don't know. Maybe. We're going to see how. The they could just maybe give Jack Mallers a call. I'm sure he'd help. <laughs> I'm sure there are people that will do that. And I think that kind of leads us into our next story, which is actually about lightning, a sort of an addition to this story. So uh, for the people that are listening and cannot see what's in front of us. We just have a chart that's going up very, very significantly. And what we are seeing from this is that the, the growth on the lightning network from last year to this year appears to be around 480% year over year. For, as far Both, as transactions, transactions and actual payment volume. Right. It's it's it is um, it's experiencing exponential growth already, and if we want to understand just how early this is with Lightning, uh, sometimes we use a uh, a baseball analogy. So with Bitcoin, I think that you and I both think that Bitcoin is is probably in the top of the first inning if we're going to relate it to a baseball game. Bitcoin is still very, very, very early. Mm -hmm. You could argue maybe, maybe you could argue like in the bottom of the first inning, but really it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it, the point is it's, you're at the very, very beginning. And when you look at what's happening with lightning or you try and figure out where lightning is in its adoption cycle, lightning is like batting practice before the game. It's really just getting started, but the growth in lightning is really extraordinary and anything that's growing 400% year over year sure is is really quite crazy and i i uh if we take i'm going to try and read this chart that i have in front of me it's a little bit difficult but in in q4 the the highest point in 2020 for the lightning network looks to be around between 3 to 4 million which happened in q4 of 2020 yeah, the, the graph starts at five million and it's not even right. touching the first the first marker on the left there. So yeah. Right. And in Q4 2021, now we are taking the highest line on the graph because it makes it the easiest one to read. It was 30, and by the way, each one of these lines represents one month. So the highest mm -hmm. month in Q4, which would probably be is actually November Q4, 
Uh, it did lightning average at 35 million with approximately 850,000 transactions in a month on lightning, a network that most people have not heard of. Yeah. It's huge. So um, that's, that's a very, very significant number. And what we're seeing with lightning, you know, you're seeing the Bitcoin price kind of falter and go all over the place and crash and do all these things. But what we're seeing in the world of adoption with Bitcoin is only bigger and bigger institutions coming on board or more and more countries coming up with regulations or ways to incorporate it. And then when you um, look at what's happening with lightning, uh, that tells an, another significant story. Well, and another thing about this graph is that it it is also denominated in dollars. So, you know, if and I don't know the exact uh, numbers, and that's probably why you see a little bit of a drop here in the beginning of 2022. But mm -hmm. but at the same time, overall, even with the drop in price, you see um, significant growth. So, yeah, right, know, right. I, I would I would be interested to see this chart kind of price adjusted to where, you know, where it was denominated in Bitcoin. But I do know that just in the past year, you know, if you look at the overall capacity on the Lightning Network, and when we talk about Lightning capacity, it's basically how many Bitcoins have been uh, deployed to the Lightning Network to allow uh, payments to go, go back and forth. And a year ago, it was roughly a thousand Bitcoins. And mm -hmm. Today we're at. Uh, I saw a thing that as of you know the last, within the past week we were you know getting close to five thousand Bitcoin, mm -hmm. forty nine hundred yeah. and something. Mm -hmm. So you've seen you know almost a five times um, increase in the in the actual amount of Bitcoin that's being staked on the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. And and yet most people are talking about Tesla, right? Right. They're they're missing what's really happening. And I think that for these, we, we talked before in the Bahamas story about being unbanked. This, this is amazingly powerful to billions of people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And the Lightning Network is, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, I still believe it. The Lightning Network is Bitcoin's killer app. And uh, I'm very curious to see what it does going forward. It's this is these are just I, I'm looking at this chart as we're talking. I'm just I'm really kind of stunned. These are really amazing numbers. Yeah. And I think to your point, you know, two of the biggest things that lightning brings to the table. I mean, one of the one of the things you hear most often in terms of, you know, if someone is is not in favor of Bitcoin, you know, you always hear, oh, it's too slow. The settlement mm -hmm. is too I slow. Know. It could be, it could be 10 minutes. It could be an hour, whatever it is. It's still too slow. Um, and when you realize that Bitcoin was designed to be slow, well, I don't know if I would call it slow. Bitcoin was designed to be the exact speed that it is, um, <laughs> which may not be fast enough to to process, you know, small transactions rapidly you know, walking into a store and buying a cup of coffee kind of thing. Um, Bitcoin is not designed to do that. So when you hear someone say, well, I can't buy coffee with Bitcoin. Well, you're not really supposed to buy coffee with Bitcoin, but you definitely are supposed to buy coffee with lightning. And mm -hmm. because that can happen, you know, the amount of value that you could send over lightning is tiny. Mm -hmm. um, you can put a you can take a tiny amount of value, you know, measured down to one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, and and arguably you could even get smaller than that if you wanted to get mm -hmm. into microsats. Mm -hmm. um, but but you know when you're talking about being able to send value in you know a handful of satoshis, you're talking about tremendously small payments happening instantly for virtually free. Um, so that's the first thing is that when people say Bitcoin is slow, well. Lightning fixes that problem. And then mm -hmm. the other thing is that Lightning is a big um, step towards more privacy in Bitcoin mm -hmm. transactions. Uh, if you're paying over Lightning, um, especially if you're using you know, your own Lightning node over Tor to make those payments, you are, there's basically, there, there's no way to trace 
what is happening between any two channels on the lightning network. Um, all you really see is the opening of a lightning channel and a closing of a lightning channel on the, mm. on the Bitcoin chain. So, um, so for privacy purposes and for speed and efficiency purposes, it's just, it, it has to be part of the conversation. Yes. I just thought of something that it's almost like using Bitcoin is a bit like sending a wire, be like sending a wire to pay for coffee. Sure. Right. Like you wouldn't do that. Um, that doesn't mean a bank doesn't have a place and that doesn't mean sending a wire doesn't have a place, but this was the, the, the lightning network is the app or the platform that, that it doesn't just solve fast payments. It recreates a whole new idea behind fast payments and takes it to a level that you just couldn't imagine. And uh, the stats are that the most powerful payment network in the world right now is Visa, which can process about 60,000 transactions per second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what the number of transactions Bitcoin could process per second was, like 7 to 10, something like that. It's very low. Uh, somewhere around mm-hmm. those. I could do the math, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that's I think that's about right. And Lightning... We don't know exactly how many it can process because it's theoretical still, but the estimates are between two to two and a half million transactions per second. Yeah, it's at least two million. Yeah, it's it's so. Um, and that, I think that's going to empower a lot of the world. We'll see. We don't know, but it certainly has the ability to um, to give banking services and digital payment services uh, to. 60 70 yeah the world's population it's really amazing yep all right let's go to the next one bitcoin company zebedee raises 35 million dollars for virtual economy so this is interesting zebedee uh raised their series b um so this you know was not their uh their first their first time raising private equity money but um, they have put a, uh, a Series B together at $35 million to help them scale um, their Bitcoin gaming platform. And, and what they're doing is they are developing um, the ability for different types of games to use um, the Lightning Network as a way to... Um, it's kind of, I guess to earn rewards is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, if like mm-hmm. if I play words with friends every once in a while, and if I, you know, play often enough, they give me, they throw me some coins. Well, in this case, it's a similar time and I, I've never played candy crush, so I don't know how that works. But, you know, if you think of those types of mobile app games where um, you have a currency kind of involved in it, whether that's, you know, the, the tokens that they give you for, for playing every day or, the tokens that you win for reaching certain levels or hitting milestones, whatever that is. Um, Zebedee is doing similar types of things, but um, using the Bitcoin network as the platform to, uh, to create those rewards. Yeah. They're actually leveraging the lightning network. So another place where we see this ability to, to do these really, really small payments, micro payments, so it may be something where, uh, you know, every you reach a certain level and they give you a hundred satoshis, something like that. I I really yeah, and it's sure. and it's the type of thing like if you're playing, I guess you know Mario Mario Kart is the uh, you know maybe the example you, you collect a coin and and now you, you that coin is is in, measured in satoshis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another lightning story. We're going to see this, and and also our this concept of micropayments, which we're going to see how you transfer tiny amounts of real value. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago where you know you used to see minimums on credit cards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you go somewhere and they don't want to take a credit card if you're not spending at least X amount of dollars. You know. I, I don't remember what the minimums were, but, mm-hmm. you know, over time you've seen that kind of change with, um, with more mobile payments and that kind of thing where you can go in. Now there's no, um, you know, if you go into a gas station and 
buy a, you know, a small candy bar and use your credit card. Um, that's no big deal. If you go to Starbucks, you buy a $3 mm-hmm. cup of coffee, um, use your credit card. It's no big deal. Many years ago, that might've been, you know, not as you might not have been as able to do that because you go to the gas station, you put your Snickers bar on the table and give them your credit card. And they're like, no, you know, we're not taking a credit card for a dollar. Right. So, um, so there you've seen that change. Um, but now we're seeing with this, like how much smaller can those payments get? How, how little value can you transfer from one place to another? And I, I think we, we say that every once in a while, and I think we heard it at the conference in Miami, that this is a concept that will be tested, and eventually we're going to find out how little money you can send at one time. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating concept how I, – I can't – I don't have the – we talked about not having the imagination. I don't really have the imagination to really see how this plays out and how it's used, but uh, – I just think the concept of it is really intriguing. Like how small of an amount can you send and not just send it. So you know what I did? I got a check from some like, I think it was an AT&T settlement. Mm-hmm. I got a check in the mail for 35 cents. Yeah. And I didn't even bother to deposit it. I still have the check. I, I just, I'm like, what, do I really want to go through the time and effort to deposit this thing for 35 cents? Um, no, not really. Uh, maybe I'll do it later, but it, it was really, I, I, you know, the, 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 I'm not a big fan of some of these big class action lawsuits where sure. mostly it's done for the attorneys, not for the people like me. So maybe this was argued on my behalf, but I, but I can guarantee if there were any damages that I, I incurred from AT&T, it would be more than 35 cents. So, but with this, if someone put someone put thirty five cents worth of sats, which I kind of get almost every day, I use this app called Lolly, and you can open up your little treasure chest and yeah. get free sats. No reason not to get it. Uh, if I got thirty five cents worth of sats on there, I'd probably be pretty okay with that. I mean, I I get less than thirty five cents usually <laughs> per day. I usually get around just a few cents per day. But um, we'll see how this really plays out. This idea of these these micro payments on lightning. But yeah, but to that point, I mean, you know, I had a, a similar thing. I think, you know, I want to say when I was born, somebody gave me a, like a share of AT&T stock as a mm-hmm. gift or something like that. Like I had, mm-hmm. I had like a tiny amount of AT&T stock and through all the growth of it and all of the divestitures and spinoffs and all this stuff, I used to get like a quarterly check for like 16 cents from AT&T mm-hmm. was, you know, years mm-hmm. ago. And, and aside from the fact that like, I'm not going to, at that point, that was way before mobile deposits. Like I'm certainly not going to drive to the bank to deposit a 16 cent check, mm-hmm. but even more importantly, from the standpoint of the payer, um, in order to send you a 16 cent check, you've got, you know, 55 cents in postage. You've mm-hmm. got an envelope that probably costs 25 cents. You've got the paper that the check is printed on, the toner that the check is printed on, printed with, and the person that has to actually take that check off of the printer, stuff it into an envelope and put it in the mail. So in order to send out a 16 cent check, you could be talking several dollars of cost just for that check. So if you take all, so to the extent that these tiny little payments need to be made, um, the ability to take the cost completely out of the equation, um, you know, is maybe not insignificant. Mm, I didn't think about that. It'd be interesting to see if they, you know, what, what kind of role, uh, lightning plays in the, uh, class action lawsuit game. <laughs> well, we'll see if it does happen, you heard it here first. That's right. Um, all right, you ready for our last story? Anything mm-hmm. else on, on lightning or, no, but it's uh, interesting. You know, we just we don't know what's going to come up on any given week. And we do screen through them to try and find what we think are the most interesting stories and the most impactful stories. And and I think this week we've got uh, is it three lightning stories? Uh, yeah, and I think um, Bahamas, Zebedee, mm-hmm. and the graph that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say um, 
I wanted to just give a quick shout out. Uh, Sean Amick at Bitcoin Magazine writes many of the articles that we use. He's obviously on the Bitcoin adoption beat. And um, and we talk about his articles pretty much every week. And he does a really nice job uh, uh, putting those out there. And, and we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the next one. Um, first female UFC fighter to be paid in Bitcoin through BitWage Partnership. Um, so this is uh, Luana Pinero, who is a Brazilian UFC fighter. I believe she's Brazilian. Is that right? She's um, Brazilian. And yeah. it's once again, Brazil and Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so she is, uh, she's had, uh, I think, um, 11 fights in the UFC and, um, and is uh, looking to getting paid in Bitcoin. This is interesting. I don't even know what the objective is behind this. I know her husband's a fighter. Her husband's, uh, I think, like ranked seventh or something like that in uh, one of the lighter weight divisions. And he also got paid in Bitcoin. So it's a bit of a family affair. I assume they are both Brazilian. So I'm really curious what the... It just makes me curious what's going on in Brazil. Like how much is Bitcoin part of the public consciousness in Brazil that you've got week after week, big financial institutions doing it. We had, um, well, this week we had it with their you know investment house. And now we've got a fighter who wants part of her salary in Bitcoin and her husband's already done it. So I don't think this is the, the most significant story of the week. Um but it just it's it's one of those stories that makes me just ask why you know why why she's not this is not a fighter that's headlining pay-per-view she's not making millions and millions of dollars per fight well this she's, is the other yeah the other thing i was going to say is that no, we, yeah we we see these um we see a lot of stories in sports um about athletes wanting to be paid in bitcoin um, we've seen it in the NFL. We've seen it in the NBA. We've seen it now here in UFC. I think there may have been some other UFC fighters that are looking for it. And I, I think it's an interesting thing. You don't really see, at least I don't think I've seen other, you know, celebrities or, or personality saying, Oh, I want to get paid in Bitcoin. So I'm curious as to what it is within kind of the athlete community that, that drives that, um, versus, you know, other people that are in the public eye. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that you should, that it's coming out when Bitcoin is like 20,000, not when Bitcoin is at almost 70,000. So you can understand where if it was, if it was the price of Bitcoin was moving up exponentially where you'd want to see these athletes get their money in Bitcoin. But with the price of Bitcoin being, I guess, what we would consider to be deflated at this point, why are people asking for it? I don't know. I also don't know if this is just, she's not a particularly well-known fighter. Sure. So this may just be a way to get your name in the news, or it might be that that she understands what Bitcoin is, that she's a Bitcoiner. Uh, yeah. Well, she had actually, she said something, um, interesting in the article, something on, along the lines of that she wasn't really worried about Bitcoin going up or down because mm-hmm. if it wasn't volatile, it wouldn't go up. And you know, that it, she took the amount of time she needed to get a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. So, you know, you can, that, that tells you what you need to know about her time preference. Yeah. And I would almost argue that when you, when you see something like that, it's usually an indication that someone has put the time in to study it. And if we want to compare this fighter to Elon Musk, it seems like she has put more work in to understanding Bitcoin than he has. Yeah, that's fair. There's an argument there. All right. Well, um, what else? I don't have anything else right now, unless you do. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? I don't. I don't. I think um, I just want to let everybody know where they can find us. Um, as Great. Michael said in the beginning, uh, subscribe and like if you're on YouTube. Uh, please download our podcast if you're listening to it. 
Um, you can find us on the internet at btcbutlers.com. Um, our Twitter is at btcbutlers. You can email us at info at btcbutlers.com um, or you can send us a DM on Twitter. You can put any questions or suggested stories to cover in the comment section on YouTube. Um, we'd love to hear from you and we would love to help you uh, implement the best practices for owning Bitcoin, which is uh, we, we help our clients buy Bitcoin um, the right way, store it the right way. We develop uh, sovereign inheritance plans for folks that own Bitcoin and other digital assets to create a roadmap for their heirs. And we can help you set up your own node. And uh, we would love to help with any of that. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Bye.